0: Speech Language Pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me To Talk's podcast. Today, we're continuing our series, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Late-Talking Toddlers. I'm so excited about teaching you this information, and this is actually the second show in this series. Our first show, podcast number 422, was all about why imitation matters and how important it is. It's actually the number one skill that we should be teaching all late-talking toddlers and certainly we should be working toward that when there's a bigger piece, when, when late talking is just part of a developmental difference that a child is exhibiting, and, and as well as when late talking is the child's only issue. So this is such an important piece of information, not only for therapists, so that you can teach this to the parents of the children on your caseload and help them understand that imitation is probably the one skill that all late talking children are missing, and then it's also important for parents so that you can understand exactly what you're working on with toddlers. And so this is actually, even though it's the second show in the series, we're actually going to be talking about level one or the very first step when we're teaching children how to imitate. And again, this is such a critical skill that so many of us don't think about and we don't think about teaching it in a hierarchy. For kids who aren't talking, we just think we're going to just jump straight to words. But you've probably already found that that's not working for you, or else I'm not sure you would be watching this video. There are actually six levels of imitating, very sequential levels of, of of learning how to copy and repeat what a child sees someone else do and then say. And so one of the things we're gonna talk about today is how motor imitation or how imitating someone's actions would come before a child would be able to imitate vocally and so we're going to see that as we walk through these levels now words are way up here at level seven and you can see that there are so many things that have to come first and so if you're a parent this is new information for you welcome to the show because i'm so excited that after today you're going to really be able to pinpoint where your child is, and where you should be working with him. And actually, the show that I just talked about and referenced, the first show in this series, can really help you determine the correct starting point. Today, we're going to be moving forward with the first step in this process, which is teaching children to imitate actions. And so in a minute, we'll talk about uh, exactly what the prerequisite skills are for this level. And also, you'll know if your child is already beyond this point. So hang tight for that. Let me mention a couple things before we really get going with the Information you can find all this information in my therapy treatment manual for parents and professionals called Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers, and that link will be right there below the post uh, on YouTube. Or if you are listening on your podcast app, you can find out more information about that at, at my website, which is Teach Me to Talk. And again, the name of that therapy manual is Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. Now, if you are a therapist and you want to get see C- credit for this show. You can do that now for $10 uh, for this show. And you'll also have access to this handout, this PDF tool that you can use for your own information, your own reference, or to share with parents. And so today we're going to be talking about the first step in this hierarchy And I'm so excited too within this program because today we're going to be diving in and dissecting uh, actual therapy clips or clips of me working with children or clips who are kind of our example children. And so we'll be doing that as we move through uh, this series. And I'm so excited that we're able to offer that uh, to you because that's certainly something we wanted to do in the past here with our podcast. And so uh, we're getting to do it in this program. So again, I'm so excited that we get to bump it up. little bit, you know, before we've always categorized our podcast as really introductory information. Today, we're going to take it to that next level and look at things that are more intermediate and advanced so that you as a therapist can just be as efficient as possible. And if you were working with your own late talker, you too are going to be able to learn from those examples and think, oh, this would be something to do. When he does this, I should do this. And so again, I hope that it's really, really going to help you. All right, so let's start with just a teeny tiny little review of why imitation matters. What does all this, why should you really be considering this as a part of your treatment plan if you are a speech language pathologist? It's because if you are not working on the right goals or the right level with a child, you're not going to see success. He or she may just plateau, may make a little bit of progress, and then you just feel stuck for session after session after session, and I don't want that to happen to you, and usually what that means is we are working at a level that's just too developmentally challenging for a child. We are working at a level that's too hard for him to be able to really make progress. There's some missing things in between, so what do we have to do? We have to back up and meet that child where he is and figure out where in this hierarchy of imitation his skills are breaking down so that's what we're really going to be talking about throughout this series and today we're going to start with that first level and so if you're a therapist you're go- you you will immediately recognize children on your caseload currently or in the past where you think, gosh, I wish that's where I would have started with them. I was working at a level that was too high and no wonder we seemed to kind of spin our wheels for a while and didn't get very far. And so I know that you're going to uh, feel that way today and that's okay because that's part of learning. And you know, one of my favorite quotes in the world is, when we know better, we do better. <laughs> so after today and after this series, I know that you're going to know better. All right, so let's Let's start by looking at our handout. And again, you can purchase that at Teach Me to Talk. This is show number 423. And you can purchase the handout there uh, with your CE credit for $10. And so here we're going to start with three big bullet points about imitating actions with objects and why this matters and really tie this into language development. And if you are a therapist, these are the bullet points or the little pieces that you should adapt to your script for when you talk to parents about imitation and particularly the children who aren't imitating anything these are the kids that you don't really see them copying routines uh, in their pretend play schemes or you don't see them trying to imitate sounds from their parents or from you This is really the most basic level where we start if we feel like, okay, I've got to start over with this kid. I don't have a good read on him or this child has significant developmental delays. This is where we're starting. And so I want to, I wanted to be sure to mention that, but let's, let's start with these three big bullet points that you need to know about imitation. The first one is this, and I said it in the previous show and I want to say it again so that you really get why we're starting here. This is our uh, foundation for this level of imitation. This is our evidence-based practice. So here we go. A child's ability to imitate actions at 18 months old was a better predictor of his language skills at 36 months old than even gestures. All right, so let me kind of unpack this a little bit for you. So let's kind of start at the end. Let's backward chain this. I hope you know what that means. That means starting at the end of something and working it back to the beginning. So let's see. It ends with a a child's ability to imitate actions at 18 months old was a better predictor of his language skills at 36 months old than even gestures. So gestures, why do gestures matter? In typical language development, gestures like point communicative gestures, meaning that you do, you do something with your body that indicates to somebody else what you want to say. And so if you were shaking your head like this, what do you say? You're saying yes, right? That's a nod that means generally means yes. And so if you're again if you're shaking your head like this, what do you mean? you mean no. Those are communicative gestures. If you were pointing, what do you mean? You usually mean look or I want that or something to direct someone else's attention to what you're showing them. So all of those things are what? Those are gestures. Those are body movements that you have used to communicate meaning to someone who's watching you, right? It's not what you say, it's what you're doing. And so those are gestures. So what this is saying is when a kid has gestures, that's super, super important, and that's always predictive that we know that he's symbolic, and we know that in typical development and in delays, in speech language delays, Words should come next. That, that's our next stop on that language development train. You know, we know when gestures come in and he's verbal, hey, we're about to hear some words. So this study is saying, hey, that's super, super important. But guess what? <laughs> there was something else that was even more important than that. That would be that at 18 months, so when a kid is a year and a half old, he's copying actions. So what he sees somebody else do. So this primarily means adults, but it could also apply to other kids. But because kids are still in that parallel play uh, phase of play development at this point, it's generally an older sibling or an adult, but something that they see their their parents or their older sibling that they adore do so let's say the older sibling is into video games and the toddler at 18 months wants to be like his or her big brother so what might that toddler do that toddler might pick up my case for my glasses here and start to operate it like a joystick or push buttons or in some way or maybe that toddler's parent frequently talks on the cell phone so that toddler might do what put that case to their ear and they're pretending they're imitating actions. And it could be a little bit more literal than this. They could use their parents' uh, cell phone. And again, it wouldn't be that pretend play component there, but you get what I'm talking about. This means that imitating is beginning to happen. And these researchers found that when kids could do that at 18 months, they were becoming so symbolic that by the time they turned three, uh, that there was a direct correlation. The kids who were doing that great at 18 months had great language at three. And so they found that to be really predictive. Kids who weren't doing that well at 18 months, not so uh, so great with language at 36 months. There were uh, some delays present so that there were some expectations that a child wasn't talking as well as his or her peers, same age, who were imitating actions at 18 months. So a big, big predictor there. So this is why we're looking at this. All right, so that was point number one about imitation or imitating actions with objects. Point number two, imitation with an object is targeted first because it's the easiest kind of imitation for late talkers. And why do we know this? Well, let's just break it down. (laughs) If if verbalizations or vocalizations were going to be quote unquote easy for that child, would you be seeing the speech pathologist? No. And so we know we've got to do something beyond or besides sounds. We have to pick something else that would be easier. So what is that going to be? Motor imitation. And in typical language or typical communicative development, when we look in that baby's first year, they are learning to do a lot more motorically before we hear that verbally and we'll also see this with cognitive concepts throughout childhood and we'll talk about this with play a lot we need to see a child demonstrate cognitive jumps or cognitive acquire new cognitive milestones in play or non-verbally before we begin to see a child use that same skill symbolically so let's unpack that a little bit for you speech pathologists who maybe have never thought about this in this way Let's use language. Let's use joining words. So let's say phrase production, early phrase production. You will not see a child self-generate a phrase. Now he could just do some rote imitation or some echolalic imitation or even just some real imitation of some two and three word phrases long before he's going to be able to self-generate or spontaneously join those two words together. But guess what? You won't see that in a kid who is still primarily using one toy at a time, who's not able to join ideas in play. So when we have our little guys that are just so fixated on maybe, you know, uh, laying down on their tummies, and they've just got Thomas the Train or their car truck or something with wheels just right in front of their little faces, and, and they're just rolling that back and forth. Or let's say that it's a tractor or some kind of vehicle like a bus that a child can put the people in or hook something on the back and you try to do that with that kid to expand his play routine and to bump him up a little bit and he goes berserk because he doesn't want you, first of all, messing with his routine. This is this is what he's doing. He's probably self-stemming and getting a big visual bump from watching the wheels spin and spin and spin. But the second thing is, Ideation-wise, he's not able to really tolerate anything beyond this is my vehicle and I'm going to move it. If you try to add, again, if you try to join something with it, he's just not ready for that. And what does that do? It icks him out, as I like to say. He doesn't want any part of it. He doesn't understand it. Too hard for him. It's like when we listen to or when, when someone tries to communicate with us in a language that we neither understand nor can speak. And so you're kind of, at the beginning trying to stay along with it, but eventually you're like, okay, I can't do it, I'm sorry, I'm out of here. So again, that's what our kids do when we're doing that too. And so when we see that, when we see that a kid that can't join that, can't do that, there's no way that he's going to be able to join that in play either. And so this is why, again, we've got to really pair. I've got to see it non-verbally before I see it verbally. And so that's what we're going to do with this imitation. We're going to see it non-verbally before we see it verbally. I hope that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, hang tight. You'll you'll get it. You'll get there. <laughs> I'll, I'll hopefully give an example that makes better sense to you as we go. But that's point number two. All right. Point number three about imitating action Actions with objects uh, is this point is imitating actions with objects is a critical to teach when we see that there are also beyond verbal delays that a kid has some cognitive delays some motor delays or either pragmatic delays now let's run through what these are this would just mean that there's more going on here than like talking it's not just that the kid isn't talking it's probably also that he or she isn't understanding language and so automatically we know that that's a receptive language delay that it's not only the expressive piece but the receptive, how how a kid receives it, that input piece, and he's not linking meaning with words. And when we know that there are receptive delays, that's usually due to what? Sometimes a cognitive delay. Now, let's say a kid can have a receptive language delay, but cognition still be a strength, but let's reverse it. When there's a cognitive delay, receptive language skills are Always delayed. I mean, 100% of the time. Close the book. You know, we know why that kid qualifies for speech because he has a cognitive delay how he learns he's just not able to retain information or remember information apply information it takes him longer he needs more repetitions before he learns it and again that's just how he how it is that's just a child's learning profile that's how they've come into this world so we know that about them and so when there are cognitive issues we know that we have to start teaching imitation again at the ground up if a kid isn't getting it on his own. Now, how do we know best that cognitive skills are moving along with a child? What do we say about that? We said we measure it non-verbally. And the best way to measure that is through play. So how are they playing with toys? At this point, are they using toys appropriately and functionally and that's not to say that a kid can't have some quirks and do his own thing some of the time with toys but it is to say that they understand what things are for and so do they understand when they see a hairbrush in a baby doll set that they could brush their own hair with that do they understand that they can take a drink from the cup do they understand that the shoes go on their feet you know how do they how are they matching uh, pictures of things or not pictures but ideas you know how do they understand are they learning these are what these really common objects are in my house that I see every single day and this is what we do with them and that's cognitive development for a baby and when a baby is nonverbal, verbal when he can't tell you shoes say go on my feet He can show you that he gets it by reaching for the shoe and then trying to put it on his foot or trying to put it on your foot or trying to put it on a baby doll's foot That's how we know, and so again, when we don't see that, we've got to teach it, and so that's why starting with imitation, teach me to imitate, actions with objects, that's our first step here. So we also need to start here when there are motor delays. We've talked about this before, but when a child has low muscle tone or high muscle tone, or sometimes even with kids when we're not seeing muscle tone differences yet, but they're not, uh, Functionally using their little bodies, so a gross motor delay, they're not turning over on time or rolling on time, they're not cruising on time or sitting up, they're, they didn't walk on time, they're not running on time, even though they are mobile now, there's still some unsteadiness there. There might be uh, some safety risk with lots and lots of falls. And so, again, when we see, oh, or that's the gross motor piece. What about the fine motor piece? These would be kids who have difficulty with their hands. They they were later to start to look at their hands when they were newborn. They were later to start to learn how to hold on to their bottle or to uh, manipulate objects with their environment. They weren't great with container play. It took them a long time to learn how to pick something up and then drop it in the bowl and then dump the bowl out. So those are things that they're still not mastered or things that are still, again, even if they're older than that, if they're two, they have difficulty when they're playing with some early toys. Sometimes it looks like they don't like toys when that's not the problem. They just can't really coordinate their little bodies to make their hands move like they should. So when we see motor delays, this is also the place that we should start when we're working with children because we want to make sure that we are incorporating that those Plan, those motor plans into these early play routines. And again, remember what we said, a kid is not going to ever talk beyond where he or she can play developmentally. And so it's so important to us as early interventionists to really bump up that nonverbal cognitive piece uh, so that we can have better outcomes with kids and make progress faster. And certainly when we see kids who have pragmatic delays, uh, imitating, teaching them how to imitate actions with objects will come first. Now what do I mean by pragmatic delays? Uh, This is the language use delay. This also would refer to social skills. So a kid who has difficulty making and maintaining eye contact with other people. A kid who really is difficult to get his or her attention. You try to show them something and they're they really pay or just paying attention to something else. If you try to maybe give them a snack they're just so focused on the snack they never look at you. They might leave you to the kitchen rather than getting in there and pointing and showing you what they want or even being able to again it goes beyond talking it's not just that they can't they can't say it. They, they also can't show you what they want. So these would be kids who have pragmatic differences. Those almost always point to markers for autism or certainly a risk for autism. And so we know this when a kid is not playing with toys lots of time or imitating us, actions with objects. Many times it's because they have pragmatic differences. They aren't watching us. They don't interact with other people like other toddlers or preschool their own age, they're not terribly interested in responding to their names. <laughs> and it goes beyond that. It's not that this is just a behavioral issue. It's not that they won't do it. It's that they can't do it. And so when there are pragmatic differences here and markers for autism, this is a great place to start when you're working with kids with imitation because you are teaching them to watch you. You are teaching them to include you and to share that experience with you. And that's otherwise known as what? Joint attention, and it's one of the very first things that we work on, and it's certainly a key component to any. Uh, speech therapy treatment plan or any early intervention OT plan or developmental intervention plan or early development whatever you call yourself you teach your people <laughs> in your uh, whatever your program happens to be so that's where we would start with uh, these kinds of kids all right so let's take a look remember I referred to this at the beginning when I showed you my chart from building verbal imitation skills and toddlers and we said that words are way up at level seven but when we have a late talker we can't start there. We've got to go with a really sequential way to look at imitation. And today we're at the first... Step in this process, which is imitating actions with objects. So I want to show you this on a graphic, and I want you to look at this so that you can see where we are. Level two. After this level, we're going to bump up to body movements and gestures. Then at level three, nonverbal actions with your face and mouth. Now that's kind of controversial. I'll explain it in, sh- in that show, but just know all late like, talkers don't need to work there, but some do, just a really, really tiny subset of children. Most light talkers, when we get them, in our speech therapy programs and they already play well they're interacting well things are going along it's just a late talking issue we're going to start them up here at level 4 uh, with vocalizations in play level 5 would be exclamatory words so uh, words like animal sounds words like yay and woohoo or expressions like oh boy or where'd it go those are all uh, kind of exclamatory words the next level level 6 this would be verbal routines and then finally level seven functional words and level eight phrases so let's back up We're way back here at level one. Can you see how when we take a kid who's not imitating anything, who's not connected to us, who may struggle again with some motor issues or some other kinds of social pragmatic delays, can you see how we can't really start at words and how it's a mistake when we start way up there because of all that ground that he or she needs to cover first? All right, so that's what we're doing here in level one is covering ground and making sure. So we're going to talk about for the entirety of the rest of this show teach me to talk how to imitate actions with objects. And again, this, this step is going to come long before we teach a child how to imitate words. And in typical development, this comes in pretty early. Kids start to imitate some actions and really use their bodies uh, within that first year of life, really commonly that six to 12 month period. We might see it earlier, even with newborns when they imitate some facial expressions. But remember again, why we're starting here with late talkers is because we want to start with the easiest thing for them to imitate. And we know that talking and vocalizing has been hard. So we pull it back up to a motor action because motor imitation generally precedes verbal imitation, particularly in children who aren't vocal and verbal already. So that was a review. I hope you've got it this time because that's a really, really critical piece of information. So level one, when do we start with kids here? It will be our kids with more significant developmental delays. They're probably nonverbal. They're probably not playing very well with toys in that. They may kind of fixate on them or they may do things with the toys that are That are not what they should do with the toys, but they're playing with it sort of, so you want to give them credit for that, but I'll show you a clip like that later where a little boy is trying to do some things with the ball and hammer toy, but he just gets stuck in his self-stem behaviors, and so that's what we might see a lot. A lot of times these are kids who aren't playing with you, so they're not sharing that experience with you. They may hyper fixate even on the toy, especially if it's a push-the-button toy or a lights and sound toy, and so there's decreased joint Attention there, and again, I'm going to be pointing that out. I've got some great examples of beautiful joint attention, and then we'll contrast it with some kids who are really, really struggling with that. I also start here at level one with kids when I don't have a great read on them, and when I know, gosh. He or she may may just struggle with expressive language, but you know, mom has given me some conflicting information, or something like they didn't really warm up to me that well in the eval, and I don't think I got the best read on them. So let me start with some things that are just kind of fun, and see see where we go from there. And I'm also going to show you a, a clip like that with some darling twins, who again, you just need to figure out where is this kid and and where is he? And so this is this is again, we're going to walk through these different scenarios with these therapy clips, so you can see uh, exactly when you should start with uh, this kind of play and when we're looking at imitation. All right so we are teaching a child to imitate actions with objects and take a look at your handout so we can talk about uh, uh, the specifics here. So let's dig in with What are our prerequisites for imitating and teaching a child here? And remember, we said that this will be the easiest target for kids who have been uh, not already spontaneously or purposefully imitating actions, gestures, or words. We're not going to rely on language here. We're going to measure their nonverbal ability to imitate first. And so since we're working with very, very young children, we need to use activities that are from two different categories. We can pick play-based activities, which is always my number one thing, (laughs) because I love to play. And I think that that's how kids learn everything. And I think when we start thinking that play is not an everyday routine, that families should be engaging in with children, we are on the wrong track. (laughs) So I think play-based activities are the very best way to do this. And you can also do it in everyday routines. And that's actually probably a parent preference. And I remember parenting young children. We had uh, three little ones. Our boys were back-to-back and it was hard to do anything outside the context of everyday routines but being the play a champion that I am we always try to make make time for that and make room for that and so certainly even as busy parents we ought to be saying hey you can do this you can teach them how to imitate in everyday routines and that's fantastic and I want you to do it because you'll remember to practice it over and over and over but to teach him how to imitate and to really get this skill going, you're probably gonna need to use toys because that would be uh, just the most, again, developmentally appropriate way to do it. Now, remember what I've already said about 15 times now. (laughs) Motor imitation precedes verbal imitation. So at this phase, we're not asking kids to say anything. All we want them to do would be to copy our actions or copy what they see us doing. And therapists, you're going to have to say that to parents because even though you know and even though you're modeling words, like you'll see me model in a minute with a little girl and we have a baby doll and I'm telling her, pat, pat, pat. You know, as a mom who's concerned about her child talking, she's going to go to, oh, she wants her to say pat, 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 pat. When our goal here is for the child to watch us and then what? Pat the baby doll herself. And so we have to really talk to moms and dads about, hey, we're not working on words yet. Remember, words are way up there at level seven. We're way back here at level one. So you've got to say that and talk about that a lot. Another really important point is that toddlers... And certainly preschoolers who are still not talking will physically be able to do these things pretty easily in level one unless there are lots of motor concerns. And even if there are, you still need to do this because they need the practice. They need the play practice and they need the motoric imitative practice. Uh, but most of the kids on our caseloads will be able to physically do these things. But here's the kicker. They've got to do it in imitation of you. And remember, why is that important? Because imitating is how we learn everything (laughs) and so remember what else we said we've got to get kids to imitate non-verbally before we can get them to imitate verbally so that's what we want to do we're we're going for imitation here and remember what we said too in our last show about why imitation matters you've got to get them to do it often so that you are getting that immediate imitation so that you can really get that efficiency going. If it takes them 15 minutes to imitate something that you've done, that's not very efficient you're not going to accomplish very much. And certainly for some of our kids who are significantly, particularly motorically delayed and cognitively, there's some big cognitive differences there. Yes, it may take weeks and weeks and it, or months even, or certainly within a session, you may have to work on something for a long time before you get it. And that's just how it is. But when we can speed it up, we certainly want to. And so that's when kids again, really learn how to talk when that when that verbal imitation piece just gets, you know, pretty consistently back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. that That's what we want to get to with kids. And so again, we have to start with it uh, non-verbally. Now, some... Experts do say if a kid's already verbal, you don't have to back up to this spot. But I've already told you with kids with other kinds of developmental delays, motor problems, social issues, pragmatic issues, cognitive issues, you have to back up to this level. You can try it, but when you're not getting very far back it on up to level one, and I bet you'll start to see uh, some progress then. Now remember, the more significantly delayed a kid is, the longer this goal is going to take. And if there are more issues, let's say, like we're gonna see with uh, one of my little friends here, he's got, uh, went on to be diagnosed with autism, but he had the social issues, certainly had the cognitive issues were present here. Uh, didn't really understand what the what the toy was for even you know after that being modeled for him and so again the long the more things that are going on with the kid the longer this goal is going to take but certainly it's worth pursuing it and and here's the truth you can't really skip (laughs) even if you say well that's going to take forever I, I just don't have time for that I'm sorry, it doesn't happen that way. It would be like trying to teach, uh, let's say that you get uh, a third grader and you say he's in third grade, it's time for multiplication tables, hooray, but he doesn't know how to add and subtract you can't start with addition and subtraction. Even though he's old enough for that, even though you think he should be able to do it, it's the end goal. You can't start there. And that's the same thing with imitation. We can't start with levels that are too high. So if you feel like this level is frustrating for you, you don't get very far, that's okay. I'm going to give you other things to do as we talk about it, but just know this is your starting point. Also, another important point for kids who will go on to be diagnosed with autism or kids who have lots of characteristics or markers for autism when you start thinking about imitation over time when you teach this uh this imitation with play you do something with a toy he does something with a toy again you're targeting that wonderful joint attention which you know i feel like you know "Ah, the 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 clouds have parted the angels are singing you know when i get a kid who hasn't demonstrated great joint attention and then he gets it but the same thing is true with toys and with self-stimulatory play. When we get a kid imitating at this level and doing doing more things that we show him how to do, his play skills will improve too. So that's another added bonus here. All right, so what are your prerequisites? Basically, I think any kid who's a late talker can start here if we're looking at imitation. And again, I've told you that even when I know a kid's skills are higher, but I just want to establish a good relationship with him, this should be pretty easy for him to do. If his play skills are moving along, it might be a shyer kid that I think I just want to start with. Or again, you know, I think you can do it with almost any kid, but if a kid is significantly Uh, there are especially motor challenges. These are the things he needs to be able to purposefully reach for or swat at an object. So that would mean that he would have motor skill proficiency at about the six to nine month developmental level. Usually holding a bottle or cup by themselves. That means that they've learned that there are some functional skills that they can use. They know what a cup is for. They're at least doing that very, very basic uh, object manipulation a kid can explore a toy, a toy with his hands and so here if we don't have basic exploration or basic ability to use their little hands this is not going to be an appropriate goal and then that most just most that first basic awareness of another person I, i'm going to watch you for at least a few seconds long enough for me to be able to map what you're doing send it to my little brain send it back to my little hands and then I can do that too and so that social piece is there too and so when we have kids that aren't connected with us this may also be an issue not because their motor skills but because of their social interaction piece and so that would certainly be something too what do we do if we have kids that you are already saying to me Laura we're not there yet don't turn off the video. (laughs) Don't stop the podcast. What can we do? We're going to address the underlying reason. So if there are motor issues, we're going to help a kid. We're going to back way up to helping a kid learn how to transfer an object from one hand to another. We're going to back up to some container play where we're really helping a kid learn how to explore and look at objects and pick it up and take it and look at it and dump it back in the bowl. More importantly, as an SLP, if you have access to a physical therapist, if there's a gross motor issue or an occupational therapist, if there's a fine motor issue, please make that uh, referral. Please help those parents understand that you can do some things to get motor skills going, but you're not the pro. (laughs) And so if a family has access to those other resources, we should certainly help a family pursue those kinds of things. All right. What if there's a social skill issue? What if you're saying, Laura, you said that he has to be able to watch me long enough to do it. And you might even say something like, well, he could do it if he wanted to actually probably not. It's probably that he he just can't do it yet. We talked about especially our little friends who will go on to be diagnosed with autism. They don't have that innate ability to want to watch other people and connect with other people at the beginning because there are likely structural differences in their little brains. And so we've got to get that interaction piece going first well before they can imitate actions with objects. And so for those kids, you have to back up and do a lot of social games. And we're going to talk about social games in this next step, but only at a point for a kid to learn how to do the action or the gesture or the little do his part with the hand motion in that game there's something that comes first and it's just interacting with you and connecting with you and staying with you. And so for those kids, you're going to have to back up and work on that first. And you're going to be working on the games that we do in this next level like, oh, uh, hand motions to songs or something just really simple like peekaboo. You're going to work on that at the next level for a kid to be able to imitate your action or your body movement as in I'm going to take the blanket off or I'm going to hold my hands up or I'm going to clap with you as a way to move him toward words But even before that, You want him just staying with you during the game. You want him playing with you. You want his little eyes to be twinkling for him to be connecting with you and for you to just be just totally giddy with each other and sharing that experience first. And so you've got to get that going first. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, that's where I should start, my treatment manual, teach me to play with you. And I I didn't bring a copy over here in the show, but I want you to know that that would be your very best resource to really get those People games, which is to borrow a Hannon word, get those social games, those games that you play with other people, going first. You need that first. So, again, that might be even a better starting point for you. And if you start to play with a child and you start to do these things that I'm going to teach you how to do now in imitating actions with objects, you do that for weeks and you're not getting anywhere go ahead and know you've got to back up. And those social games are going to be the first place for you to start. All right. So what if there's a cognitive delay? This is the very best place to start with that. There could be that there's some receptive language delays that a child might not have, might not have mastered yet, but that's okay because you can move him through this. And this would actually be a way to target your receptive language skills in the midst of all that. So I wanted you uh, to know those things. So take out your handout and let's look now at examples of imitating expected actions with objects so why do I say we're going to begin with expected actions with objects it's so that you can really help a child learn like we said before to use objects appropriately to use objects at a developmental level and again if you're a parent you might be cracking up that I'm saying use objects at a developmental level when I'm talking about a toddler or a baby But honestly, that's what they're supposed to be doing by about 15 months. We want them between 12 and 15 months to really know glasses go on my eyes and start to put glasses on their eyes. And when they see someone's pen, that they grab it and reach for it like they're going to scribble so that they really are making those connections. And so again, that's what we're going to do here. We're going to start by modeling the expected action with uh, whatever object we're using. So when I teach this course live, I test the audience. So I want to do that now with you so if i gave you a car what would you want a child to do with the car how would what would you do so that he could imitate your actions because remember that's what we're doing you're not saying you're not giving the child a car and saying roll the car you are modeling that action he has to what watch you and see you so that he can do it and remember we're starting there because that's how kids learn how to imitate first especially kids with language delays because verbal's too hard we've got to start with motor so with a car you would want him to what roll the car back and forth and again you've got to model it first if I gave you a hat what would you do with a hat to get a kid to imitate you as far as an expected action goes you would put it on your head right if I gave you let's go something harder What if I gave you a pot and a pan? What would be something expected you could do for that, that this is a trick, (laughs) that would be appropriate for developmentally? What would it be? If you didn't, you could certainly, if you had a spoon there, you could stir with a spoon, you could do that. But another developmentally appropriate thing to do would be to turn that pot over and what? Bang on top. So again, think about what, what what would he do with this? What should he do with this? What could he do with this? And that would be that pardon me, expected action that we would want him to imitate. So remember, that's what we're looking for here in this phase, is for a child to be able to imitate something that he sees uh, you do. All right, so let's talk about this for a minute. What does it mean when a kid is not doing this? Well, let me just say, typically developing children, and children when there's only A talking delay. (laughs) When it's just an expressive language delay. This is easy for them. So when you see a kid that you've got his attention... He's settled enough to play with you. He's watching you or maybe not watching you. That gives you a lot of information. If a kid is truly, typically developing, this will not be hard. You're just going to model these actions in play, and they will imitate it. I'm going to show you some things with some kids who aren't even one yet who are doing this, and so you'll start to see how how it should look in typical development. But for our little guys that are late talkers, this is going to be a lot harder. And again, why? Because they are just not wired to do this. They are not wired sometimes to imitate like we see with our other kids. So we really have to build them. uh, We have to build those skills in there. But part of this show is giving you examples of typically developing babies So that you can look at that again and kind of compare it but i'm going to show you uh, two very different toddlers and again these are both children who were within the realm of typical development when i saw them and when i knew them when they were right around their first birthdays Uh, similarities both kids live in uh, homes with both parents but the parents had really different parenting styles one family was super laid back about developmental milestones one family was not that mom was actually uh, in school to be a therapist herself so you can kind of see that dichotomy there but guess what both babies were very typically developing and I can't wait to show you these little clips uh, because you can even though you can see some similarities there you know I've pointed out some differences uh, so I, I want you to pay attention to that this first clip is in with a darling little girl that was just a couple of weeks shy of her first birthday and so I want you to watch this little clip and pay attention to what we're talking about here, which is what? Teaching a child to imitate actions with objects. We've got a sweet little baby doll there, so watch this clip and think about how she imitates. Look at your baby. I see your baby. (laughs) Look at that baby. I know. Can we give her a kiss? You give her a kiss. That's right. Mwah, I love it! You gave your baby kisses! You give your baby a kiss. Can you give her a kiss? Mwah, give her a kiss! Mwah! I love it! Yay! Wasn't that adorable? <laughs> and again, that was a little girl that wasn't saying anything at that point. I mean, nothing. <laughs> But her imitation with objects was just right on. That wasn't hard. I had not taught her how to do that. I obviously knew that family and knew that little girl uh, through some other kinds of exchanges that we had. But imitation was moving along beautifully. All right, let's look at this second little guy. He was about nine and a half, ten months old when we took this clip. And I want you to watch him uh, with some imitation with objects and just how easy it was to get this going. Oh, I got him! I got him! Ooh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> <That comes from. laughs> oh, yeah! Got him! Go! Are you gonna hide him? Are you trying to hide him? Like, bang, 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 bang. Bing, bing. <laughs> That's right! Bang, bang, bang. So how about that one? Did you see what he did? He just banged those little balls together and that wasn't even hard for him and it's not something we taught him how to do. He had never seen that toy before but it didn't matter because he knew what? He knew how to imitate. So that's how easily and how early imitation comes in. And as early intervention therapists and SLPs who work with babies with uh, communication delays and disorders, our perception gets skewed sometimes. We don't always realize just how natural these kinds of skills are. Uh, just how how early they emerge. So I always want to caution you as a therapist, especially if you are not in... You don't, you you're you not in your childbearing years anymore, and you haven't seen a typically developing baby in a long time. Or if you're not a parent and you've not experienced that firsthand, because again, mom brain and therapist brain are two very different brains, <laughs> you will see things from a totally different perspective as a mom than you do as a therapist. And it's best when you can meet in the middle, but. Sometimes that gets dicey for us. I totally get that. But my point here is if you don't have a good reference for typical development, you've got to find yourself a community program to volunteer in. Go to church and work in the nursery or the preschool and remind yourself of how imitation develops. Because, again, this is the number one skill that we should be teaching all like talkers on our caseloads. All right, so another similarity, not only did those kids imitate with those objects, what else did they do? If you're a therapist and you don't have a good answer for that, you know what I would tell you? I would say I want you to rewind that. I want you to back up and watch those clips again because you need to hone your clinical observation skills. You need to be looking at kids and saying, you know, oh, and coming up with some other things. So, so do that right now. If you can't come up with anything else, you go back and you watch that and you come back to this with some good answers. <laughs> that would be what I would say to you if I were mentoring you and if we had a good relationship uh, and you didn't take that too personally or get your feelings hurt. But here's, here's some other things. What about their eye contact? Were they both looking at me? Oh, yeah. They were both enthralled, right? They were, they, I wasn't having to beg them to look at me. I didn't have to cue them one time. What are some other things they did? What about their attention? They stayed right there with me. I didn't have to get up and chase them around. They were both right there. Now, granted, they were both under a year. And so they could have crawled away. And I guess the little girl could have technically lunched from the table and jumped off. (laughs) Hopefully not, though, right? But they, they, mobility-wise, they couldn't run away from me like a two-year-old can. But they were with me. They didn't stray. They were just right there and i only showed you just a you know a few couple minutes of play with both of those kids but it wasn't hard to keep their attention and what's that other part of attention that big two word part that attention is the second word joint attention how was their joint attention perfect right what did they do how do we know when a kid has joint attention we know that his eye gaze changes so i never have a toy here when i'm trying to give this example but let's just say Our point of attention here should be my glasses. So what should we see? Let's say that you were the kid. Or no, let's say I'm the kid and you're the adult. So what should you see me doing at you if we're both talking about these glasses? I should be what? Looking at the glasses and looking at you. And looking back at the glasses and then looking back at you, right? That's how we know. That's what joint attention is. You're not... As, as the adult, if you, if you were with me and you were, I'm the kid and you're the adult, if you were trying to have to put the glasses on me or just, you know, shove them in my face <laughs> like we do with kids when we are having difficulty keeping their atten- visual attention or their joint attention uh you know, that it wasn't hard with those kids. Did you see how easily they stayed with me and how they both, the little girl with the baby doll, what was she doing? She would look at the doll, look at me, look at the doll, look at me. I didn't have to really hold the doll up and say, come on, come on, do it, do it, do it. That's how it should be. And so my point here is when you're having to do those things, you are compensating. That child does not have typically developing joint attention. And what should your first diagnostic thought always be well first it should be okay there's a sensory uh, there's a sensory issue here I can't get his attention you know you can go there first but the second one is what closely follow behind that is autism because joint attention that's just a big marker for that and so again if you're not used to looking or used to you know me looking at good joint attention if you have been working for a while or if you're new if you're brand new and you think Laura I don't really Mm, I don't really ever see that with kids. It's because you're just working with kids with delays and disorders. You've got to back up, like we said, and take that look at typical development. So go back and watch those clips so you can recognize that when it happens. I want you to be able to see that. So, oh, we talked about Uh, The things that we look for right there, if a kid is not sharing that experience with us, we know we've got to make some changes. So what are some things that we can do? Okay, so you're saying, I'm already saying, okay, you better work on joint attention. So let me tell you, let's talk a little bit about how to do that within the context of this course. But I also want to say, if you know that a kid you're working with, that you were listening to the show and watching the show just for the sake of treating a kid with autism, and you already say, his joint attention is not where I want it to be. I I don't think I can move forward with this with this verbal imitation because I'm going to have to stay here for a while I wish I had some more information about this you can get that I have a book called the autism workbook and I'll post a link right below here uh, in the post on YouTube or if you're listening uh, with your podcast app you can get it at teach me to talk but the autism workbook and let's talk about talking both have sections about joint attention where how do we work on that how do we teach a kid with markers for autism how to take turns with me how do we teach him how to to stay with me. All of those things are wonderful things that you have got to learn how to do if you're ever going to make headway with a kid with autism. So those are the things that you can do. Beyond that, let's talk about what is appropriate (laughs) to talk about here in this course. And that's something else you can do is to tweak your materials. So we should always meet a child where he is. And that means that we are going to look at what are his best possible materials and what is my best possible setting. Because we can change where and we can change what. And sometimes that will make a difference when we're working with a kid who's not imitating actions with objects. So, let me give you a tip here. You want to use toys that a child likes. And that is right here under Guidelines for Imitating Actions with Objects if you've purchased your CE credit for 10 bucks and gotten your handout. The first one is, play with the child using toys he likes. I wish I would have added, and I might do this before, before this handout is published, I should say, play with the toys a child likes, but is not obsessed with. <laughs> so here, we want to use the child's preferences. We want to do some, use materials that he's already interested in. Use something that he's going to see you start to bring out. He's going to want to come over to you. You're not going to have to fight him to pull him away from something, because he's going to be initially interested but we all know, especially with our little friends who have signs of autism, one of the diagnostic criteria for autism is that they have kids have obsessions and fascinations with objects that go beyond normal interest in either intensity or or whatever the object happens to be and so that would be that a kid has some atypical interest guess what you can use some atypical interest you totally can we're going to talk about that but you can't do it if a kid is totally obsessed with it so here's what i mean i mean if a child just has just an unusual attachment to let's say Thomas the train, <laughs> because that happens a lot, right? Because a little wheel spin and a kid can stem with that and it's holdable in his hands and he's blue. And there's a show on, on Netflix or where PBS or wherever parents find it. I don't even know where Thomas is, but they can, a parent can find that. And there's a funny British accent and it kind of has the whole tone of the show is very flat. So it kind of can kind of lull you into oblivion, right? So no wonder a kid likes Thomas. I mean, how many things are there there? You can do that, but when a kid is Completely obsessed with Thomas to the point that he won't let you hold his Thomas to model it or even as the same a similar Thomas the train when he crosses over that he has to hoard or he has to completely check out and leave you out that's not going to be a good material for this right because what are you going to have to do then then you're going to have to manage behavior and anytime we spend more time on behavior than language and here i don't mean behavior as in imitate actions with objects that is certainly behavior i mean behavior as in redirect attention uh, beg him to play with you <laughs> plead him to let you have a turn plead with him to let you have a turn that's not gonna work here. So you wanna use things he's interested in but not obsessed with. But you can use those atypical interests. So I've done this a lot with the little the little guy you're gonna see later. He really liked to open and close doors in the in the kitchen with cabinets, so we use that a lot. I've used imitation with feathers and so that a kid likes feathers and so what can you do with the feather you know we were saying before you would do an expected action but what's an expected action with a feather you know that might be hard you can do simple things like you can hold the feather up hold the feather down if you want to think about something more uh quote unquote functional that a kid might have done with it what does he do with it already does he blow it does he try to tickle does he just swing it back and forth Do that, model that action first. That's expected for him because that's what he does with it. So that's certainly something you can try. But anything that think about if it's a familiar toy or object, you already know what to do with it. But if it's atypical and you're thinking, what in the world am I going to do with this? Go with just common actions. You know, again, up, down, swinging in a circle you know, hide it behind your back, you know, think about whatever you do and whatever the kid does with it. So that that's been a good thing that I have um, been able to use there. All right. We also remember how we talked about we can do these imitating actions with objects in two different contexts. We can either do it in play with toys or everyday routines. So parents Helping parents learn how to work on this during everyday routines is going to be critical, especially if the parent is not making time to play. And we know that parents are busy, and we know that there are parents that are like that. And after we've begged them and begged them and begged them and begged them, and after we've said things like, Hey, you got to play and play and play and play, and when you're sick of all that, you got to play some more. If they still reject that and that just for whatever reason we're not going to be judgmental about it but they're still not doing it for those parents you've got to teach them how to do it during everyday routines so it might be uh we i gave some of these examples before but let's just talk about these now it might be that a child learns uh during when when, after bath or during bath mom's going to do some things there so it might be washing his arm with a washcloth she washes his arm with a washcloth he's either holding his own washcloth or Uh, getting the washcloth from mom and doing it himself, or maybe washing the side of the tub. Anything that we can work in. In a meal, what might it be? It might be uh, that you could do it with a social game where they learn to kind of clink their little, you know, mom's glass to his sippy cup, something like that. It might be that he, again, holds the sippy cup up or puts it down. It might be that with his spoon, he picks his spoon up and, you know, does it in the air like mom does, or something more functional where he reaches in, you know, mom models, she's going to take a bite of his yogurt, and then he takes a bite of his yogurt after mom. So anything that you can think of like that, that a family would remember and that a mom would be able to do. Now let's talk about novelty. Sometimes uh, we think as SLPs, oh, we've got to, you know, have the grandest play scheme and da-da-da-da-da. And so let me give you this This hint, if a kid has a lot of markers for autism or a significant developmental issue, we're going to go with familiar objects first. But there will be some kids for whom you think these familiar objects aren't enough to hook his or her attention. For those kids, you might have to go with novelty. And again, with typically developing kids, I don't know that I would, uh, or closer to typically developing that it's just an expressive language delay. They're typical in every other way except expressive language. Sometimes with those kids, you've got to have some toys that again, especially if they're a little bit older, closer to three, you've got to have some toys that are going to be more novel. So that's certainly a tip uh, that I might use. So let's let's get back to these guidelines for how you do this. We've already said we're going to play with a toy that a kid likes or use a familiar object in everyday uh, activities or if there's a kid that for some reason we can't hook his attention for that kid we're going to use a material that's a little bit more novel. When we're doing these things, what do we say about talking for the child? The child says nothing. We have no expectations for talking. If we get words here, hallelujah, that's a gift. <laughs> but mostly, this is this is where, we're, where our target is nonverbal. So it's that imitating actions with that object. So what we have to do here also is really, really simplify what we say. So we want to narrate using very, very simple, simple language. And I already showed you those clips where with that little girl, what was I saying with that baby doll? I was just saying, pat, pat, pat. And with that little boy, what did I say with the balls? Bang, bang, or bang, bang, bang. You know, whatever I said there. So you've got to use really simple language. And I like to use words that if a child were going to be able to developmentally imitate, and I'm going to get that hallelujah gift right there. I say things that I think he would have Uh, an easier time imitating so with the balls you can use an exclamatory word that we're going to talk about later bang 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 or you can just say you know ball 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 or boom 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 or you know if a kid's into numbers if you already know that's something that he loves or the parent just kind of says that all the time you know one two three so again narrate using very very simple language that you think the child is going to like that will hook him and usually those exclamatory play sounds are the way to go with that the next thing we want to do is imitate and respond to the child to encourage that social interaction and joint attention so you're not going to just have like and I kind of I kind of snicker about this with you know sometimes how we used to do uh, therapy kind of in the 80s or uh, maybe some of our colleagues who were maybe ABA therapists who aren't as play-based they're just super super structured even with toddlers you know don't get me started on that but also uh, that you know where we're, even if you are just kind of testing a child Where we line up objects, and that you would one at a time kind of, you know, you give him a set of balls, and you've got a set of balls, and you bang them together, and then you put them down, and then you're going to give him a bowl and a spoon, and you have a bowl and a spoon, you're going to stir, and then you're going to put it down. Don't do that. We want to make this more naturalistic in the context of play, and we really want to, again, make it more play like where we are initiating and we're responding, and there's that back and forth, nice communicative flow there. Uh, The next thing we want to do is be sure that we're modifying familiar actions with the toys first and that again is to get that comfort level that familiarity built so that we know what we're doing and so that we don't give a kid credit for just going off and doing his own thing. You know, we want to keep it pretty simple at the beginning. And so, and that's the other thing with parents too. Sometimes they get so excited about the novelty and they hear me say things like ratchet it up and be more fun. And everybody just kind of goes loosey goosey. We don't want that. We want to have some structure here. You know, this after all is science. (laughs) So we want to do that. So you really want to start with those familiar actions first. And you're going to see some more clips of this in a minute. And if a child isn't doing it, what do we want to do? We want to be sure that, we are helping him. Now, have you, uh, so providing that physical assistance to quote unquote make him do uh, that imitation with that object. Now, can we always do that? Not always, but most of the time we can. And that's why at this level, it's perfectly fine to do some hand over hand assistance. And you're going to see that in a minute uh, with a the therapy clip that I'm doing. All right, so another problem that we have here is keeping a toddler's attention. Now, When I first read this research, uh, Inkersaw recommended that we move on to new toys at least every 20 minutes or so to keep a toddler's attention. And I saw the 20 minutes and I just kind of, you know, wanted to put my hands over my face like, oh no, you know, because 20 minutes for some of our little friends is totally unrealistic. Sometimes it's two minutes, right? <laughs> and so you've got to really use that as a gauge with a child. Are you going to make yourself and a child and their parent totally miserable by sticking with the same toy for 20 minutes, please tell me no, a resounding no. We're going to keep moving our attention. And so let me tell you what some other folks say. Barbara Hodson, and if you are an SLP, you know that name. She uh, did a uh, Uh, phonology and so she recommends changing activities with preschoolers every seven to eight minutes and that's certainly something I think aha we're getting somewhere so I need an activity about every five to ten minutes or so I've got to change I've got to do something new so that I can keep this kid's attention and I think that's about right especially for a preschooler and then (laughs) I found some uh, research that pertains Uh, especially to toddlers. So a researcher, Gartner, in 2008 says that a toddler's attention span, so with toddler, we think about that, that generally as a kid. At the upper end would be three, so three or younger or younger than three. A toddler's attention span is variable. And we know that there's some toddlers who can pay attention for a lot longer, but mostly the research says between three and six minutes. So that's what? About five minutes. So that's how often we're going to have to change toys realistically to keep a toddler's attention. Now, another thing that I like to do for a toddler's attention, especially for our little late talking friends, is to build that attention sequentially. And so I like to use what I call the one more rule. And that means it doesn't matter what we're doing. If he or she is having trouble with the book, he only wants to sit through the, the book for two pages. I just want to try to get three pages. And to do that, what am I doing? I'm just saying, one more, one more, come on, one more, one more. And I flip that page and we do that next book or whatever we're doing and with a book what could you do you could do some imitation with the pictures or some actions you know you've got to model it first so you could pat the picture like you know pat the puppy you could kiss the baby in the picture you could knock on the the door of a car or the door of a house in a picture those are some things you could do with that book Let's say it's a puzzle. Let's say you have a nine-piece puzzle. And I've just, uh, I've got a cute therapy tip of the week that's Christmas themed about using, I'll try to post that link too, using a puzzle. What can we do to teach actions imitating actions with objects with the puzzle. And so again, if a child has just done three pieces of the puzzle, I don't try to get him to sit through all nine pieces. I'm just going for four. I'm going for that one more, one more. And so that's how we extend a toddler's attention. And so if you're working with a child, your own child, or a child on your caseload, who's a toddler, and you think, oh my goodness, he doesn't even have two minutes worth of attention. How am I ever gonna get him to do this? You're just gonna build it up one turn at a time. One turn at a time. And that's what you keep thinking about. And you just think, this session, he did two pages of the book before he moved on. So that means next session, I want him to do three pages. This session, he played with me with this ball toy. He did it twice. Next time, I want three times. And so again, that's how we build attention with toddlers. And that's what we say to parents. And we don't ever give them unrealistic expectations. And so we say, we're just trying one more, one more, one more. And that's my, uh, that's my rule as far as that goes. All right, I already alluded to this a second ago, but I want to say this too. When we're helping toddlers learn how to imitate actions with objects, we need to use the same cues that we use for receptive language for when we're helping a child learn how to understand what requests are or to follow a direction for us. We tell him, we show him, we help him. And so here, because this is primarily a nonverbal system, we're modeling. So we're showing him what we're doing. So we're going to perform the action with the object three to five times and just show him. And if he doesn't do it after we show him, we immediately take our hands and we help him perform that action. All right, so what are some things that we can do? I'm going to go ahead and talk about now some troubleshooting things that I want us to do. Uh, And this is our our first. This is actually still listed as the last guideline under imitating actions with objects. But honestly, this is one of the things that I think about when things aren't going very well is that sometimes it's that I need a set of toys and the kid needs a set of toys. This is especially if he is upset that I'm taking a turn with his toy. I'm going to get two identical sets of toys sometimes we only need one set of toys and that would be for the kid who leaves you out unless uh you know he he kind of takes his toys and turns and you never see his little eyes again for those kids you just want to use one set of toys so that might be real helpful for you too all right reciprocal imitation we when we can't get a kid to imitate us We have to imitate them. And so again, sometimes that's hard to get going. To help us do that, we limit their ability to get away from us. And that doesn't mean that we belt them in a high chair, but it does mean that we do this only in small spaces. And we do it only with the child who, who we are helping get engaged with us. So we're positioning our face right within his face, within his line of vision. So we certainly do that. And again, we've talked about how important it is that we model that simple language and that we. Uh, again get that affect going so that's our number one thing if we don't have kids really imitating us Get that heightened affect going. Be more fun. Be more fun to look at. Be more fun to listen to. Also, make your target easier. If you're trying to do something with a child that's harder with a toy, back it up. If you're trying to get him to push the toy down the ramp on the racetrack and he can't do it, start with just putting the car on the racetrack and see if he can do that. Let's talk about another thing that I mentioned before. Power struggles. Do not get into power struggles with toddlers. Why? Because nobody wins power struggles. We don't. And so we want to make this as fun as it enticing as possible. Another big tip is to sing as you play and really, really help a child again be engaged with you so that you can be more melodic and hook his attention. All right. I'm getting ready to show you some more therapy clips. Remember what I said before. If a child is more significantly impaired, the longer this goal is going to take. So I want to show you my next little friend. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting him virtually or online long before I met him in person. His parents were actually missionaries overseas uh, in Moldova. When they contacted me, I had never heard of the country of Moldova, but they uh, found me through a common friend on social media, and so we connected, and I was so happy to be able to help this family. This little boy turned out to be diagnosed with autism. At this point, I was just beginning to establish my relationship with this family. I had worked with them via Skype, but then they came home, fortunately, to the same city that I lived in, and so I was able to meet them and work with them directly, and this is just how difficult it is to get imitation going when there are other things. So I want you to watch this little boy, and again, this is real-life therapy. I'm not going to show you perfect therapy clips throughout this podcast series because we don't, we don't deal in uh, perfect situations ever in early intervention so watch this clip know that it may take a long long time for imitation to develop with a kid like this so watch it and then we're going to talk about some things okay oh. oh and you want that hammer there it is hammer hammer uh-oh look Let's do it this way Yay! Balls! Balls! This way. <laughs> Yay! Balls! Ball! Balls! And... Balls! And... Get the ball. g get, get, get the ball. Get this ball. Ball! Oh, I'm gonna hold mine. Who's mine? Boom <coughs> Oh you wanna make you wanna make him dance so... <laughs> That's your little place Oh what's <laughs> wrong What's wrong <laughs> You are avoiding now You're letting me hold you but you were really trying to avoid me. Boom, 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 boom. like to hide those. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a visual thing. I want to see them walk around. Yeah. I know, those cameras. Mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Mine. This. 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 Gonna still stay in your face, you have to play with me. Sure. So how is that little guy's joint attention? Not so great, right? Did you ever see him really look at me? I think that there may have been a little time when, when he's looking at me when I've got the hammer, but, but it's mostly me that I've got the hammer and I'm putting myself, I've scooted over just really just a tiny bit and he wanted what I had. So he might've just kind of caught my attention or caught my eyes just as he's, again, trying to get what he wanted there. So don't you think that's probably why he's not great at imitating? Yeah, because he's not really with, me he's still really doing his own thing right and so when we see kids that are socially isolated like this what do we say we can keep working on this but we really should get them to include us and sometimes that's easier when we don't have toys and so sometimes that's why we have to back up to those social games remember I told you you can find that in my a treatment manual teach me to play with you so if that's something you're interested in uh, certainly that's a better starting place uh, for for that. All right. So I wanted just to show you how hard that was. So we talked about uh, imitating expected actions and we saw those two little friends that were just turning one. We had balls that we did that with pardon me and then we have a little girl who's patting the doll and kissing the baby doll those kinds of things those were expected actions with the little guy that we just saw the expected action was what using that hammer to uh, hit the balls now let me say one more thing with him you know pushing the balls would have been an easier target to get him to imitate so we could back up and do that putting the balls in the hole would be an easier expected action that's how we could back up just ditching the ball toy because, you know, that really was a more complicated toy. Why? Because it was a tool. He had to use the tool. And again, he had some self-stem things with the tools. Remember with the hammers? He wanted to bounce them around. And his mom actually thought he was doing a puppet show because they had done some puppet shows before in uh, children's ministry. And so you know, again, parents sometimes make assumptions, and I'm not slamming parents for doing that at all. They just don't understand really about language development, about how play, you know, that continuum with that, and and here's the truth. Until a kid can talk and say, hey, that's not what I was doing, you know, we don't really know. So, again, I understand, but at the same time, you know, what we're seeing looks like a stereotypical self-assimulatory play behavior. So, For that kind of kid, you also need to back up and use toys that are easier and really get them more connected with you in that social play first. So those are some ideas for kids like that. All right, so let's move on what do we do after a kid can imitate uh, expected actions? We move on to unexpected actions or unfamiliar actions or things that are novel or new. Now, why do we do this? It's so that we ensure that imitation is truly occurring, not just what we would naturally expect to happen with the object. Now, remember we said at the beginning that's important because we want to teach a child how to do that appropriately and functionally or, you know, use the right, use it the right way is how a parent would say it. But here we want to take It's a step further so that we know that a kid really is copying what we do. And so let's use our earlier examples. So remember, I said, I asked you, what would you do with a car for an expected action? And remember, we said that we would roll it or whatever we said we would do with it. Give me some examples. Can you think of what you would do, maybe unexpected, for a car? What are some things you could do? Well, I might put it on my head, I might try to roll it down my leg, you know, pop my leg up and roll it down my leg. I might sit on it, anything like that. And we would want a child to imitate that. Uh, What about a hat? What are some things you could do with a hat? Remember, expected action would be what? You put it on your head. But then what about an unexpected action? What could you do with it? come up with anything, anything. Like I said before, you could sit on it, you could put it in your pocket, you could try to put it on other body parts, maybe hanging on your ear or your nose. Kids would think that's really, really funny. And so that would be something that you would think about too. All right, I wanna show you a great therapy clip with a, a little set of friends of mine, a little set of twins. They were 21, 22 months old at about this point. I met these little girls at uh, a social event with uh, my family and they weren't doing very much. You could tell that they were preemies at that point. Their mom approached me and said, you know, I know you're that speech therapist lady. I've kind of heard about you. And I said, oh, gosh, I'd just love to work with these little girls. And I got them to do some things with me at that social event. They did some dancing with me. And so they they were already uh, engaged enough to be able to imitate. It was pretty easy to get them Uh, Going and so, I really thought with this little set of twins, and this is when I first wrote uh, my book that I already showed you, building verbal imitation in toddlers. And when I was first thinking about uh, putting them or or having them in therapy, and I thought this is going to be great. I'm going to walk these little girls through the process. And so, this is one of the first sessions that we did with them. And guess what? They talked. they started talking like session one or two and it was incredible and I just loved it but it kind of blew what I had planned you know that I was just going to walk them sequentially through this process but they they did so great and I was so happy about that but this is just a really cute clip of them we are playing with puzzles and their mom is there so you can see their mom kind of you know sitting there on the side sort of listening which is what lots and lots of parents do and I don't want you to think that that's you know we don't always have to have parents right on top for them to be bent benefiting from what we're doing in therapy, and so again, I kind of want to show you that and say that to those of you who have kind of gotten off on that, uh, but the, these are great examples of unexpected actions with the puzzle, so take a look, and then we'll talk about it some more. It's really gotten better with it. There. that? That's a phone. Hello? Hello? Look, I know what you like to do with these. You want to play this way. Clap, clap, clap. That's our favorite game. Clap, 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 up. Oh, you went the wrong way. Clap, 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 up. Yay. Oh, watch Laura. Clap, 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 down. All right. Clap, 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 down. That's funny. <gasps> clap, clap, clap. Yeah. You want to run your head? Clap, 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 I heard yeah. you. Down. Down. I heard it. Clap, 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 clap. Head. Ooh! that's funny. Oh, your head. Clap, 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 clap. Belly. Belly. Yeah. Belly. Did you get your belly? Belly. Yeah. Do you say belly or tummy, Amber? Belly. Belly. Okay. Clap, 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 clap. Head. That's funny. Clap, 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 Shoes. Shoes. Our boots. We all have on boots today. Boots. Boots. I heard you. Boots. You got your boot. Your boot. All right. Clap, 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 Boots. On oh, your so how was that that was adorable wasn't it and what was the unexpected action there we clanged those puzzle pieces together and i was giving verbal cues with that and these again just to keep the child really engaged it's really narrating simple language you know and we made it a game and they obviously had played that with me before it was one of their best ways to kind of my best ways to bring them back to me really kind of again meet them where they are if they were getting off and dysregulated and sometimes with when you're working with twins you need something to do together as a joint activity so it's a great game a great imitation game and so we even did some things like you know put it on your boots put it on your head put it on your belt so wonderful wonderful ways to make sure that a child is really really imitating so i hope that you will uh, think about that and these kids again were pretty easy but at the same time i've gotten lots and lots of kids to be able to imitate at this level and this is where we start them we start them non-verbally before they become verbal all right so let's talk about a couple of more troubleshooting tips for you what if you try this with a child and again for weeks and he's really not doing anything, let's say that he's mouthing the toys or he's throwing the toys or he's just not staying with you, you've got to back up. You've got to get that social interaction piece going so that he's with you more often that you're not having to chase him down. Do some things you might. Remember what we said, modify your materials and modify your space. Make it harder, meaning you're going to play in a smaller space. You're going to kind of corral him a little more. You're going to be more up and more fun. But at the same time, you might have to back up and work on that social connection or work on just really having him, again, that attention piece, staying with you for longer amounts of time before you're going to move on uh, to try to teach him to imitate. What if a child is too busy? You think, well, he does it. He imitates me, and then he's just off. He has to go run. You've got to get that kid regulated first. So I use what I call a move-sit-move-sit philosophy, meaning I never think I'm going to sit down (laughs) for more than a few minutes with a kid like this. We are purposefully going to move and you can do that just with social games like chasing him and catching him or throwing him around. Uh, on the couch or on the bed you know any kind of little movement game that you could do with him and then you sit down with some toys then you you move to do kind of a daily routine or an everyday routine that you think that he would imitate better in then you go right back after you do that for a few minutes when you're losing him again get up and run again you might do something like if we were here in my office we would run from one wall to the other wall and one wall to the other wall and then just do that until I saw him really be able to settle down. We might do a little jumping game. I might swing him in a blanket. Uh, Again, the possibilities are endless. We might have a slide so that he uh, climbs up the slide and then slides down 10 times, 20 times, and then we go back to sitting down for the toy. So you've got to really keep a kid regulated so that you can uh, work with him there. Let's talk about one other thing before we... Call it uh, call it a day on this show. What about using other kids? I have found that at this level, if a kid is really struggling with imitation, other kids are going to be more of a distraction. Now, if a child is closer to typically developing if the if the issues that he's experiencing are more expressive rather than he doesn't have a social interaction problem he is understanding language cognitively he's moving along so he's using toys other kids may be helpful but if you spend so much of your time managing behavior meaning that you've got to keep your kid on track or sometimes you're managing behavior of the other kid (laughs) you're working with a sibling that you know, it's all you can do to keep them with you, and you don't even really get to address the things of the, your little client because the sibling is really taking up so much of your and mom's focus. And so when that happens, don't use another kid. Get this piece. Firmly established at the beginning so then that you can move on. All right, that's all for teaching a child how to imitate actions with objects. Remember, this was our first step. When we look at this hierarchy of imitating, we are way back here. And can you see why in the world can we expect a child who can't do this to be able to imitate words? You know, you can't get there from here. And so you've really got to work a child up to this uh, being able to verbally imitate, and we always start with nonverbal imitation. And remember what we said too the more significantly uh, challenged a child is as far as meeting his developmental milestones, the more delayed he is, the longer this is going to take. So just know that going in. And what else did we say? Anytime something is too hard, what do we have to do? Back up, back up, back up. And so for these kids who can't do it here, we're going to work to get that social interaction going. And I already told you that my best resource for that is Teach Me to Play with You. You can find that link right there below. Uh, That's the end of this course. Teach Me to Imitate with Actions. Next, we're moving on to Teach Me to Imitate uh, Body Movements that lead to gestures. So, body movements and communicative gestures. When would we do this? We would only move on when a kid is imitating about a dozen or so actions with objects in that play setting very, very easily. His parents say, hey, he's imitating actions all the time in the bathtub. I can get him to do stuff at mealtime. When you're getting that kind of consistent feedback, then you'll move on. What if you have a kid who's not ready? don't move on yet. We talked about backing up and we talked about staying at this level until he's really, really mastered it. All right. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. We would really appreciate that. And that's all for today. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist. You have just watched Teach Me to Talk's podcast series, Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Late Talkers, and I will see you in the next course.